0: Hi, I'm Wendy Zuckerman, and you're listening to Science Versus from Gimlet. Today on the show, we're pitting facts against ferocious dogs. As we ask, are some dog breeds, like pit bulls, inherently dangerous? Several weeks ago, our senior producer Meryl Horn and her husband Chris Souter got a DNA test for their dog, Penny. Come here. Penny. So they could find out Penny's breed. They thought she was a Black Lab mix, but wondered what else might be lurking under the surface here. So they basically got her a 23andMe, but for dogs. Mm. Meryl and Chris had to swab Penny's cheek. She's a little nervous. Which was a little tricky.
1: We're going to do science.
0: Okay, here, Penny. You're going to get a treat soon. But they got it. She got a little treat. Penny, not Meryl. Good girl, Penny. They sent it off and a few weeks later got an email. And Meryl couldn't wait for the reveal.
2: Alright, I'm going to click the results. I guess there's a little video that we can watch. It says, A Perfect Mix of Five Breeds. This is the breed reveal. Whoa, American Pitbull Terrier was the first hit. German Shepherd. Chow Chow. Huh. What? Boxer.
3: Boxer. <gasps>
2: and one more Rottweiler. It? Oh, f- she's like a combination of all the worst dogs. <laughs> <laughs> except for bad things about rottweilers pit bulls of course and chow chows are supposedly one of yeah, the more aggressive ones
3: are really aggressive
2: F- yeah th- her biggest one is definitely pit bull 40 percent.
0: as you can hear meryl is a bit taken aback seeing that her dog was a mix of all these breeds i talked to her about it what was so worrying to you?
2: I mean, I think I've always just had this idea that there are some dogs out there that are scarier than others. And it felt like this is what you would get if somebody intentionally tried to create a dog from all the scariest breeds. You'd end up with Penny. It did make me think about all these little, like, signs that she might have aggression problems. Like, the first time I met her, she, she snapped at me. And she did bite somebody once. Whoa. Like, maybe she does have this darker side to her. And, and it's, it's scary. Like, now we have a toddler.
0: Oh. And the part of Penny that freaked Meryl out the most was the fact that a big chunk of her DNA was Pitbull. Pitbulls are one of the most controversial dog breeds around. In the news, there are these terrifying stories of people being mauled to death by these
1: dogs. Tragic death in San Bernardino County tonight involving a pit bull. The 44-year-old mauled to death, killed by her 8-year-old pit bull.
4: We went to go and play with him, and something in him just switched.
1: Don't trust them. Don't trust pit bulls, because they could change at any moment.
0: And dog bites are a big deal. More than 300,000 people go to the ER for dog bites in the U.S. each year. 300,000. And a lot of the victims tend to be little kids. And some say that the dogs most often to blame here are pit bulls. Yeah, there's this whole anti-pit bull movement that have, let's say, no pity for the pity. They say these dogs are inherently dangerous that it's like their whole body is designed as a weapon. You'll find articles and forums saying that pit bulls have a terrifying bite force that can crush a child's skull. And because of all this, several places, like the UK and Denmark, have basically banned these dogs. But then there is another side to all this. You've got the pit bull lovers. The pity posse. And they reckon we've got it all wrong. Pit bulls are loving, wonderful pets, they say. (laughs) And if there's some bad apples, some dogs that bit some people, well then it's the owner's fault. And this debate has gotten so nasty that several years ago, BuzzFeed called it the most vicious conflict on the internet. This is, this is quite a story. You have so some people, they are inherently loving. The other side, they are inherently dangerous.
2: Yeah, it's like people are living in two alternate universes. And both
0: sides say they have the data. Yeah, this is the, the kind of science versus story I love, when everyone <laughs> thinks the science <laughs> is on their side. Yeah. So today on the show, are pit bulls truly bad to the bone? Forget the dogma. Because when it comes to pit bulls,
1: we're gonna do science.
0: Science versus. will be right back after the break. So stay, sit, stay. Good listener.
5: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring. The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsor job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com science. Just go to Indeed.com science right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Welcome back. Today we're looking at dog breeds and asking whether some dogs, like pit bulls, really are just inherently more aggressive and dangerous. So after Meryl Horn, our senior producer, realised that she was basically the owner of a pit bull, she dove into the research on this. And Meryl is going to tell us what she found. Hi. So where did you start? Step one.
2: I mean, I ate... I think I just started Googling, like, are pit bulls bad
0: <laughs> and solid? <laughs> that PhD counting for <laughs> something, Meryl. <laughs> and-
2: yes, uh, I use my research skills to Google. And one thing that came up right away to explain why pit bulls might be dangerous is that they have this kind of dodgy breeding history. Where do they come from? Uh, well, if you go back far enough, the ancestors of pit bulls were these dogs that were bred to fight bulls.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: Oh, hence Pit Bull. Yeah. And then generations down the line, these dogs were used to fight other dogs. So it's just kind of a lot of blood and violence throughout Pit Bull breeding history. Um But the truth is that we bred a lot of dogs for violent purposes, like beagles are used to hunt rabbits. And Rhodesian Ridgebacks um, were bred to hunt lions. What? The first Akitas were hunting wild boars and bears and packs. So you can make this argument like that they were bred for violence about a lot of dog breeds.
0: Okay. Okay. But still, I'm still scared of pit bulls at this point. And all these other dogs now,
2: right? <laughs> the Rhodesian Ridgebacks—you <rich laughs> don't want to <laughs> with those
0: either. hundred <laughs> uh, percent, no.
2: And so then, fast forward to today, and one of the big things that you read about on these anti-pitbull websites is this idea that bulls are more likely to bite people. They'll point to like all of these studies that seem to back this up. So, like, one of these studies is literally called Mortality, Mauling, and Maiming by Vicious Dogs.
0: That's some alliteration. And and what did... What does this study do?
2: So they looked at people who were brought into their... um, It was, like, a trauma center in Texas, and they looked at what kind of dogs bit these people. And they found that pit bulls were the dogs that were most likely to bite people. Um, And their their takeaway is that pit bulls are inherently dangerous and that we should be regulating them like we do with wild animals like leopards. Wow. Yeah. And there are dozens of studies like this that show that pit bulls are more likely to attack people and have all these statistics, you know, backing that up.
0: So ca- case case anti-pit bull is, is looking strong.
2: Yeah. Uh, but then I kept digging into these studies.
0: Digging. Nice. Huh? Isn't that what dogs do? Dig.
2: <laughs> yeah, like like a dog after a bone. I <laughs> dug and dug. <laughs> very, and very it turns out these studies are kind of a mess. Um, so they've gotten lots of criticism from other scientists. One big reason is that we just don't have any way of controlling for the, like, total number of dogs that are out there. Like, we know lots of people own pit bulls, and so it could just be that if you've got a lot of pit bulls, you have a lot of bites from them, too. Like, it's just math.
0: Right. We have to know what the denominator is, basically.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. So in that, um, yeah, maulers, mutilators. Mortality, mauling, and maiming. Yes, study. If, for example, in Texas... There's, there is a, a lot of pit bulls, then you would have a lot of people at that hospital with pit bull bites. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are more aggressive dogs.
2: Yeah. Like, one study found that the most common dog to kill someone in Canada is a sled dog. Is that because sled dogs are actually the most vicious dog? Or is it just because there's a lot of sled dogs in Canada? And we don't know how many pit
0: bulls there are in America versus other kinds of dogs
2: no, we don't. We just don't have these stats. And like, there is also like no real precise definition for what a pit bull even is. Really? Yeah. Um, Like there are a few different breeds that are lumped into this category of pit bull, but sometimes people get it wrong. Um, So you got to be careful about which studies you trust. But bottom line, as for those dog bite studies, the American Veterinary Medical Association has said, quote, Dog bite statistics are not really statistics and do not give an accurate picture
0: of dogs that bite. Unquote. Ooh, that's, that's some rough talk. <laughs> yeah, but this does then leave us back where we started. So where do we go next?
2: Yeah, I mean, all this just made me want to find better studies that I could actually trust. And
0: you have the same number of dogs to start with.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, good denominators. Yes, um,
0: love a good denominator.
2: And I talked to someone who did a study like that. Her name is Anna McNeil, and she was also fed up with these crappy denominators. So, first, we kind of nerd hated over that for a while.
1: You have to go by the population. What's the probability yeah. that any, you know, the, the more. Yes, in the one of our, one of our own. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, after looking at all the studies, I realized what we're missing. And I thought, I guess that's one thing that I can contribute to the scientific research is doing a study with the proper methodology. And then we got
2: to talking about her study. So she started it when she was working on a master's for animal welfare at the University of British Columbia in Canada. And she hooked up with the British Columbia SPCA, an animal shelter, to try to track what happened when people adopted pit bulls. Like how many of them became beloved family dogs and how many of them got returned for things like aggression.
0: Okay, so what did Anna do?
2: So the first step was to get some dogs for this study. Anna started categorizing the dogs that came into the shelter as either a pit bull or a non-pit bull for the control group.
1: There was a Catahoula. I think there might have been a chow mix.
2: Catahoula. One Catahoula. That sounds like a made-up dog.
1: No, <laughs> Catahoula leopard dog.
2: And so Anna got about 40 pit bulls and 40 of these other dogs for the study, and she looked to see what happened. Um, and so right off the bat, they had to euthanize five dogs because they were aggressive towards the animal shelter staff. Oy. So three pit bulls and two of the other dogs got euthanized then.
0: OK, so three and two sounding pretty equal.
2: Yeah, there there wasn't a difference statistically. And then she looked to see what happened after all those other dogs got adopted. Um, so within a couple months, eleven of the dogs were returned for aggression. And so Anna looked, were more of the dogs that were returned pit bulls.
1: One of them was a pit bull and ten of them was the non bulls.
2: Whoa. So only one yeah. was a pit bull. Only one out of those pit eleven bull dogs was returned.
1: Yeah.
2: Pit bulls were much less likely to be returned for aggression by the owners. So far, so good.
0: So far, so good.
2: Then she looked to see for all of the dogs that were kept, were there any other differences in aggression when these dogs were kind of settling in? And she didn't see any differences in aggression towards, you know, strangers, towards kids, towards the owners, between these two different groups. Um, And in fact, the, the only difference in behavior between these two groups of dogs that she found had to do
1: with something else. So they were more likely to sleep on the bed, and they're more likely to cuddle, which is basically considered like touching, leaning, um, yeah, always being in touch with their owner uh, physically.
2: So the pit bulls were more likely to cuddle with their owners and sleep on their beds. More
1: likely to cuddle and sleep in the bed.
0: Don't stop it, you (laughs) two.
1: You're such a hater.
2: (laughs) It's adorable. It's an adorable finding to a study, come on.
0: (laughs) But it was only 80 dogs. That's right. That's right. That feels very small. Are there any bigger studies? Yeah, um,
2: there are. So, like, we have a study that surveyed thousands of dog owners, and people did say that their pit bulls were more aggressive towards other dogs, but pit bulls weren't more aggressive towards people, according to the owners. Oh, which
0: kind of makes sense with the breeding history, right? Because part of their breeding was to fight other dogs, not people. Yeah, exactly. It
2: makes sense. There's also a survey of a couple thousand veterinarians who, you know, presumably don't have a dog in this fight. And according to them, the dogs with the highest risk of giving people severe bites were chow chows, not pit bulls.
0: Chow chows. Okay. Penny had a bit of chow chow in her, right? Yeah.
2: Thanks for bringing that up, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This This is not particularly good news for Penny, but it is quite good news for the reputation of pit bulls. Okay, this does this does make me wonder though. Are there other dogs that we should be looking at in this whole debate? Like while all this attention is on pit bulls and how nasty they are, are researchers actually saying, "No, no, 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 look over here. This 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 other dog is the one we should be focusing on?"
2: Yeah, so I actually did find a lot of studies that look at like aggression overall in dogs and do find that certain dogs are more aggressive than others towards people. Oh. One guy who's looking into this is Isain Zapata, assistant professor at Rocky Vista University in Colorado. And he did the best study I could find on this. Uh, He started with this huge database of dog owner surveys.
6: So they have like 60, 70,000 participants in that one.
2: 60 or 70,000 dogs.
6: Yeah. Whoa. So we use all that data to try to kind of classify, you know, what is the differences across breeds.
2: So they asked the owners all sorts of questions about aggression and then ran the numbers. And?
6: What we saw is that the most aggressive dogs are the small ones. The small
0: ones. The small ones.
6: Yes. And that is consistent with uh, many other you know findings from other people. The size matters a lot. So, like, what types of dogs? Small breeds uh, chihuahuas. They're mean. They're cute, but they're mean.
2: So, Isain and a bunch of other papers often find that small dogs are, on average, more aggressive. Um, Dachshunds, miniature schnauzers also pop up a lot. But one thing to note here is that the differences weren't that big.
6: In average, they're more likely to be crazy. But it is not, like, for sure it is going to be crazy.
2: But Isain was curious, like, what was making some of these tiny dogs more aggressive? Um, maybe he could see something in their genes. So Isain looked at a bunch of doggy DNA, and he told me about this one gene that he found in dachshunds. And what does a dachshund look like? Remind me. So tiny. They're the the wiener dogs. Um, so it's kind of like a short little hot dog on legs.
0: Oh, yeah. In Australia, we call them the sausage dogs.
2: And what he found was that the gene that makes them have those short little legs is right near this other gene that makes dachshunds kind of mean.
6: And exemplifies you know, how when we select for something uh, that we want, we can also bring stuff we don't want.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. So the gene for cute little legs or whatever is sitting very close on the string of DNA to a gene that ups their chance of being a little rat bitch. <laughs> and so where you copy one, you'll often copy the other.
2: Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, and I mean, it's not like there's just one gene that determines whether or not you're a little rat bitch. Like a lot of things could contribute to that, um, like your environments.
6: So if you're a, you're a very small dog, everything is giant around you. You go to the doggy part and, you know, you're going to be playing with giants. Yeah. Your entire experience uh, is molded differently.
0: And do we, have e- do we have any evidence from other studies that there may be some aggression gene in pit bulls that we accidentally bred for?
2: Yeah, I actually wanted to know that too. So I asked Isaiah that.
6: We cannot detect it, and we haven't seen it so far.
2: So you fe- didn't find any, like, smoking gun here of, like, no. an aggression gene in pit bulls?
6: No, we looked specifically for that uh, within the, the ones that we evaluated, and we, cannot, we couldn't find it.
0: Okay, okay, so chihuahuas, dachshunds, the little ones, the little rat ones, they're the more aggressive. So are pit bulls off the hook? Completely?
2: No, no. So, so far, all we've been talking about is whether or not they're more aggressive than other dogs. But there's something else that you should know about pit bulls before you cast your judgment.
0: Okay. And this is coming up after the break?
2: Yep. And we're going to have to use some crystals and dog cadavers. Oh, jeepers. Okay. (laughs)
5: Just go to indeed.com slash science right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
0: Welcome back. Today, Meryl is telling me all about pit bulls. We have just found out that when you look at the best science, it doesn't look like pit bulls are more aggressive towards people. Is that fair, Meryl? Yeah, we don't have
2: great evidence for that.
0: Excellent.
2: But the next thing that I want to tell you about is this idea that it's not that pit bulls are more likely to bite you, but that when they do bite, they're more likely to cause a lot of damage. You hear this in news reports that make it sound like pit bulls have these ultra-powerful
5: jaws. Police say the dog latched onto the 75-year-old victim's arm and refused to release. Animal control staff tried to intervene but couldn't get the dog to stop.
2: And I've seen a bunch of stories like this. They'll talk about how pit bulls will latch onto someone and won't let go. People in these situations will sometimes like stab the pit bulls to try to get them off because they can't figure out any other way to stop the attack.
3: Well, tonight, one family member stabbed the pit bull to death right here in their front yard after a vicious attack.
0: That, that is terrifying. Yeah. Okay, so is there any evidence that a pit bull's jaw is any stronger or bite is any nastier than other dogs?
2: Yeah, I wanted to know this, too. So I talked to Anthony Harrell. He's a researcher at the National History Museum in Paris. Could you like list off all the animals that you've measured bite force in?
4: Um, I've measured bite forces in over uh, five hundred species of animals.
2: Oh my god!
4: So it's kind of it's kind of hard to list them all. <laughs> um, but it, we've 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 worked on fish, we've worked on birds, turtles, um, lizards, snakes, uh, mammals, obviously.
0: Oh, I am so excited about this. I love a good bite force study.
2: And yeah, this is what he does. He makes these bite force measurements. He has been bit himself uh, a ton of times by all sorts of animals. What do you think was the the animal that gave him the worst bite?
0: <gasps> oh, gosh. He said 500 that he'd studied. I bet it's something weird like a turtle or something. <laughs>
2: yeah, actually, it's <that's> pretty close. <laughs> he said it was a, a horned frog just because it was so surprising. He didn't see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to the dogs so Anthony wanted to see whether some dogs have a stronger bite force than others so he got 47 dog cadavers from vets oh. where the owners agreed to donate their dogs bodies and for Anthony this was pretty exciting
4: I mean as an anatomist I really enjoy doing the sections because you can really get to, uh, get to the nuts and bolts of how the system works um, we take out muscle by muscle we weigh the muscles, we measure their lengths.
2: So they dissected all sorts of dogs, like a Doberman, a Husky, a Toy Spaniel, and a Pitbull. And then they measured a bunch of stuff like the muscles around their jaws and the shape of their skulls. They threw all of this data into a model to predict bite force. But to see if that model was accurate, they needed to get some dogs that were alive. Um, So they got some dogs that were trained to bite on command. Where do you find dogs that can bite
0: on command? Is
2: that a thing dogs can do? Some of them, yeah. So there is actually this uh, whole competition where people train their dogs to be really good guard dogs. And so as part of that, they have to bite people. Um, And so Anthony basically borrowed some of these dogs to measure their bite force. If you want to see what the study looks like, uh, just click on this link. Ooh, Anthony's the one in the back.
1: more.
0: Oh
2: nice! So they just like bite, go bite. Yeah, they they're saying here you go um, in French. What's
0: that thing the dogs biting?
2: So they they have the dog bite this thing that sort of looks like looked like an oven mitt to me. But inside of that oven mitt thing is a special device that can actually measure how strongly the dog is biting. Um, it it uses a crystal. Oh,
4: fancy! <laughs> yeah. It's called a piezoelectric crystal. Huh. And so this crystal has a unique opportunity that as you deform it, so if you push on it, it sends out a current. And the more you deform it, the higher the current.
2: So they combine the data from those dissections with the data from the live dogs to find out which dogs have the strongest bites. Aha!
0: So what did they find?
2: Uh, let's start at the bottom with the dogs that have the weakest bites. So the two dogs in Anthony's study with the weakest bites were a chihuahua, and a toy spaniel.
4: Obviously, like, the bigger the dog, the harder it's going to bite. It makes a lot of sense. A bigger animal will have more muscle. As you have more muscle, you can bite harder.
2: Yeah, so that was one big pattern. The smaller the dog, the weaker the bite. They're meaner, but they nibble
0: on you. It's not a big deal if they bite.
2: Yeah, it kind of balances out nicely that way, right?
0: (laughs) Okay, okay, all right.
2: And then um, that was, so that was one pattern. Uh, Another pattern that he found had to do with the shape of the head. So the dogs with the long skinny heads, like greyhounds, had weaker bites. And so what were the the dogs with the strongest bites then?
4: And so the dogs with the strongest bites are typically these breeds that you can think of that have these really wide, bulky heads um, this provides lots of space for the jaw muscles, and those are the dogs that actually can bite uh, quite hard. So basically, you can think of Rottweilers, you can think of like uh, Pit Bulls, you can think of uh, all of these kind of breeds, Mastiffs, um, that are bred for actually fighting, for biting, for defense.
2: Yep. The pit bull that they looked at was at the top of the charts, Mm -hmm. um, along with some other of these big, fat-headed dogs, like the Rottweiler and a Mastiff.
0: Okay, Um, so this is is very much a point, a science point in favor of those who think pit bulls are inherently more dangerous.
2: Yeah, totally. And this might explain why, if you look at people who need to go to the hospital from dog bites, the people who got bit by pit bulls often have worse injuries compared to people who got bit by other dogs.
0: Oh, this feels like a very big point in the favor of the no pity for the pity party.
2: Yeah, pit bulls can give some nasty bites, along with a bunch of other fat-headed
0: dogs. Yes, that don't have such terrible reputations.
2: Yeah, yeah, like they're part of this kind of group of <laughs> dogs that are capable of inflicting a lot of damage. Um, but the science doesn't back up all of those stereotypes about pit bulls. Like that idea that they can like latch on to their victims for a lot longer than other dogs. I asked Anthony about that idea.
4: There is no data out there in the literature where people have tested the amount of time a dog can hold on and produce a certain amount of bite force. Um, And I would expect that dogs like uh, fox terriers and these kind of breeds, that they would also be just as good at holding on um, to an object.
2: And Anthony doesn't buy that pit bulls deserve this reputation that they have when a lot of other dogs have strong bites too.
4: Pitbulls don't really stand out relative to other wide-headed dogs. Um, Some are bigger than others. So the bigger they are, the harder they bite. So in absolute terms, a Rottweiler will bite harder than a pitbull because it's a bigger dog. And I I think the biggest misunderstanding is that um, just because a dog can bite hard and it's going to be aggressive, um, absolutely not true. So intrinsically, a pitbull can be just as sweet as any other dog's.
0: Right, we tend to think of aggression in a dog and its bite force as the same thing. But he's saying they're actually separate traits.
2: Yeah, and Anthony thinks that when it comes to dog bites, it's not actually about the dog breeds at all.
4: It's not the dogs that are the problem, it's the dog owners that really are the problem.
0: Okay, this is something we haven't talked about yet. This idea that it's not the dog, it's the dog owner.
2: Yeah, and there is some evidence for this. So, like, one study looked at over 200 dog bite fatalities from across 10 years, and they found that 76% of the time, the dogs that killed someone were, quote, kept isolated from regular positive human interactions, unquote. I talked to Anna McNeil about this, and she said to picture a dog that's,
1: like, always tied up outside. They've perhaps spent their life in a yard or on a chain. Uh, they spend a lot of time barking at fences. They're not properly socialized.
2: But, you know, a lot of this could also just be miscommunication. Like, we're two different species, and sometimes it's not always intuitive to read what a dog is feeling. Right. And the experts think that one thing that could help all of this is if we got better at reading dog behavior. Uh huh. Okay, so in a lot of the news stories about dog attacks, the owners will say, like, oh, my dog bit someone and it was completely out of nowhere. Um, But Anna's skeptical about this because what she's seen um, a lot of the time is that people just don't know what the warning signs look like that come out like before the dog actually bites.
1: Owners don't always notice the signs that you need to be noticing. So they might say this was completely unprovoked. This dog has never acted like this before. But, but to anyone who really knows dog behavior, the dog had been warning for a long time and was giving fair warnings.
2: So, yeah, experts told me that often, like, if a dog is feeling threatened, it'll give like a hard stare or a growl or it'll like show its teeth a little before actually biting someone. And it's like our job as dog owners to pay attention and then intervene before that leads to a bite. But one group of people that's really bad at looking for these warning signs is kids. Like, not by their own fault. Like, they're just, like, kind of young and stupid. But, like, right. a lot of kids do get bit by dogs. Researchers think that maybe a lot of these bites are preventable if we teach kids better, like, how to behave around dogs. Um, like, don't pull on dogs' ears. Don't run up to a dog you don't know. And stare at it in the eyes. Don't stare at it in the eyes?
0: I didn't know. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of it's common sense um, to some people, and other (laughs) things. But no, but even for me, I didn't know some of these things. Like I, so I mentioned. What are the other things? um, So, like, if a dog chases you, what would you do? Like, a scary dog is running after you.
0: Stop! Right? I think I would. I would stop that's right yeah is that right are you supposed to stop but that feels stupid it feels kind of counterintuitive like i think i might want to (laughs) run away as fast
2: as i can but no apparently the answer is don't run away don't scream just be quiet and stay still and usually the dogs go away and so so the science shows that teaching all this stuff to kids can change their behavior when they're around dogs
0: awesome yeah and not just What did you call them? Stupid little kids, but stupid little adults too. Yeah. (laughs) Can help us all. So to to bring this back to Penny, your um, genetically designed... Monster. (laughs) Monster, yeah. Your genetically designed monster. Um, How are you feeling about Penny now?
2: On the one hand, I'm not worried about her like breed, mixture, being this big red flag that makes her more dangerous than other dog breeds. Um, But it's also true that, like, technically any dog could snap at any moment, and she's a large dog with a big, strong jaw. And now, like, I'm more on the lookout for, like, those warning signs and really reading her behavior so that I can step in as soon as there's, like, any little sign that she might be feeling threatened.
0: Well, Meryl, you uh, worked like a dog on this episode. You, you <laughs> hounded God. the research. You <laughs> powered at it like a Rhodesian Ridgeback after a lion. <laughs> wow. And now you get a treat. <laughs>
2: Did I get my treat now? <laughs> Thanks, Meryl. <laughs> Thanks, Wendy.
0: That's science versus and how many citations in this week's episode?
2: Oh, citations. There are 80 citations in this week's episode.
0: 80, 80 citations. Excellent. And if people want to find them, where should they go?
2: They can go to our show notes and then follow the links to the transcript.
0: Next week on the show is ketamine.
2: It feels like it's this like magical new drug for depression, but I'm still... Wondering if it's like legit, if it if it's real or not.
0: Yes, that's yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we're looking into. Um Thanks, Meryl. Thanks, Wendy. This episode was produced by Meryl Horn with help from me, Wendy Zuckerman, Ari Natavich, Joel Werner, Rose Rimler, and Michelle Dang. We're edited by Blythe Terrell. Gimlet's managing director is Nicole beamsteier Bohr. Fact-checking by Diane Kelly. Mix and sound design by Catherine Anderson. Music written by Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, and Bumi Hidaka. Thanks to all the researchers we spoke to for this episode, including Lawrence Grandpre, Dr. Carlos Alvarez, Dr. Elaine Ostrander, Dr. Eleanor Carlson, Professor James Serpel, and Dr. Catherine Lord. And a huge thanks to everyone who shared their stories about pit bulls with us. We really appreciate it. A special thanks to Chris Suta, Penelope Epsilon Suter, <coughs> Mathilde Erfolino, Talia Rockman, Pierce Singhi, the Zuckerman family, and Joseph lavelle Wilson. Science Versus is a Spotify original podcast and a Gimlet production follow Science Versus on Spotify. And if you want to get notifications every time we put out a new episode, you know, turn on your phone, they say new episode, Science Versus. If you want that on Spotify, there's this bell icon and you just have to press it. That's it. All right. I'm Wendy Zuckerman. Back to you next time.